welcome in to a Saturday morning edition of the Back and Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Stat Matt, a.k.a. Matt Raftery, joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. Been a minute since we talked to y'all, but again, like we mentioned on the last episode, with the week of Christmas upon us, it was going to be a little more difficult to get you guys the normal two or three episodes that we try and get you guys, but nonetheless, wanted to get you at least one episode for the week, the week of Christmas, of course, uh, Merry early Christmas, I guess, to uh, you and yours. Merry Christmas Eve, however you want to celebrate. Just remember, make sure you guys do follow the show on Twitter at BackForthPod. Instagram is at BackForthPodcast. And while you're there, give the Talk That Talk media company a follow on Twitter at TTT Media Company. The rest of our socials are spelled out at Talk That Talk Media Company for those that might be new. The Talk That Talk media company is, of course, the official home for Back and Forth. Got some signing day news to go over for you guys. And of course, because it's the weekend of Christmas, we can't let the NBA Christmas Day uh, game, uh, or slate of games rather, go unmentioned. We will dive into those and what should be a really good matchup pretty much all day um, on the NBA Christmas Day slate. A lot of good games to get to. We'll touch on all that. And, of course, we will give you an update on UNLV Hoops. They had an interesting week, a little bit of an up-and-down week, but we will dive into them nonetheless. Let's dive right into it, though, with signing day just happening a few days ago. And, of course, we've got some winners and losers for you guys. Yeah. One quick thing before we start. College football has a huge problem. The first group of five school, in the there's, what, a hundred and... 31 FBS teams. Give or take, yeah. Do you want to know in what spot the first group of five school is? Probably 30th. 58. Ooh. UTSA. Oh, boy. And then after that, it's Boise State at 63. Oh, boy. So one through 57 are literally all power five, power school. five schools. And you go to college basketball next year, you want to guess what spot the first – Group of uh, five school is? Um, I'm going to guess 20th. Four. four. Ooh. Connecticut at four. Memphis at five. Then you have Xavier, 16. Marquette, 21st. Gonzaga at 39th. St. Joseph's, 41st. Providence, 44th. Charleston, 45th. Um, so in college basketball, obviously a much different scene you have about several different schools here in the top 50 um rice at 50 or eight actually rice at 50 so eight schools there in the top 50 and and, and fbs football there is zero um so that's kind of a a problem a lot of people were um were talking about on national signing day is it's kind of you know power five are just getting all the top players and kind of no one else's it's really hard for i guess the group of five schools to, to recruit and looking at this it's you know, it's a little ridiculous. The top three are all SEC or soon-to-be SEC schools with Texas being at, at three. Uh, they're joining the SEC in 2024 or 2023, I believe. Um, but nothing less. I just wanted to bring that up. I think that, thought that was interesting, and um, I definitely think that's an issue in college football for the first group of five school to be at 58th, and that school is UTSA. Um, so there's there's definitely a huge problem there. Uh, but, but talking about um, National Signing Day, obviously uh, – a big day in college uh, in college football. The early signing day, the late signing day, I believe, is in February seventh, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, uh, first I'll start local. 
you know, not much from UNLV. Picked up a couple recruits, but nothing less their um, recruiting class in the Mountain West uh, ranks, according to 24-7 Sports, ranks 11th out of 12, only ahead of New Mexico. As per usual, Boise State is uh, leading the conference there, um, having the best uh, recruiting class in the Mountain West. Uh, you look at Colorado State. Hey, me and Matt, um, when Jay Norvell was hired by uh, the Rams, uh, I think that is one of the only few hires in you know the college or pro sports universe that me and Matt saw eye to eye on. Colorado State got a fantastic coach in Jay Norvell, and in just year two, brought the second best recruiting class in the Mountain West, going toe to toe with Boise State. Honestly, um, Boise State only beat them by a few points here. Um, and, you know, Colorado State has not been an easy place to recruit in these recent years. I can't remember a time I saw Colorado State football getting a, a top three recruiting class in the Mount West and beating out schools like San Diego State, Fresno State, UNR, um, and even UNLV with the facilities UNLV has. Like, that Colorado State should not be ahead of UNLV. And uh, Jay Norvell has done a fantastic job. He found a way to win three games with a really bad team last year. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they're only going to continue um, – trending up so um so far a good start for the rams uh san Diego state getting the third best recruiting class fresno state fourth air force fifth uh unr sixth utah state seventh san jose eighth hawaii nine wyoming 10 11 unlv 12 new mexico and the only reason unlv is ahead of new mexico is because new mexico only has one current recruit uh or one commitment i should say they have one three-star commitment um, for the 2023 class. So that's about the only reason UNLV is ahead of them. Um, you know, I'm sure um, this, I don't think this is counting um, guys you're getting from the portal. So I think Barry Odom has, one, I'll give Barry Odom a lot of credit for the staff he's put together so far. I think he's put together a pretty uh, experienced and, 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 and knowledgeable staff. I think this is one of the best overall staffs UNLV is going to have um, in a very long time. Um, he's kept... A lot of core guys like Doug Brumfield and a few offensive linemen. He still has to keep Kyle Williams. That's going to be a, a huge piece there. Um, so we'll see what happens with Kyle Williams. And I know he's got a couple of commitments from the portal so far. So um, I imagine that's how he's going to be building his team. Year one is going to be through the portal rather than um, through uh, high school commitments and whatnot. So, uh, but so far, you know, you obviously need a future. Um, you know, you can't have, I think, is, is attractive as the portal can be sometimes you have to eventually start building your future and you know getting these three four or even two star recruits and um, letting them develop under your program Doug Brumfield is a prime example of that Doug Brumfield was a two-star recruit and look where he's at now Kyle Williams same dude I think another two three-star recruit and now all UNLV fans are begging this guy to stay uh Charles Williams uh, all-time leading rusher for UNLV same thing guy came from high school so eventually you got to start getting um recruits from there but we'll see where UNLV ends up um in the Mountain West I would say my big winner so far is going to be Colorado State I think everyone kind of expects every year for Boise State and San Diego State to finish at the top two or three in the conference and so for Colorado State to get up there and finish second and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Boise State and we haven't even reached the late signing day period yet um hats off to Jay Norvell and you know that future uh the future of that program certainly looking bright and uh, it will be interesting to see how uh, the Rams look next season. Uh, but going into, I guess now the uh, power five schools, Alabama and Georgia round up the top two. I don't think that's much of a surprise to anyone. Texas coming in at third, Arch Manning, that was a big commitment for them. 
Um, that's obviously going to be their future quarterback. We'll see if he brings Texas football, quote-unquote, back. Um, they've been saying that for the last decade. Um, but I got a good feeling Arch Manning is going to, you know, get them to where they need to be. Um, I believe he is a five-star. Is mm-hmm. he five stars or four stars? Pretty sure uh, five. Five-star, and you th- even throw that out the window. He's the, uh, um, uh, obviously, in related to two fantastic quarterbacks who uh, – had three Super Bowls total, and um, Peyton Manning and and uh, uh, Eli Manning. So obviously has a good um, support system, and uh, you know he really couldn't learn from anyone better. So the future for Texas football, I think, is definitely looking up. And I can't remember a time also that they got a top three recruiting class. Um, Oklahoma is also a shocker. Um, they beat out their former coach Lincoln Riley. Uh, they got the fifth best recruiting class so far. USC is sitting at. 15 currently which is not bad at all but um you know shout out to oklahoma for getting kids to pick norman oklahoma over (laughs) los angeles um but i would say the big winner obviously um because i mean most of their commits so far have been through the portal um and this is a school we've talked about a lot in recent episodes is, is colorado uh travis hunter shadur sanders um you know considering where colorado football has has been the past decade, um, this this uh, early signing period was huge for them. Even getting just Travis Hunter, let alone getting him to uh, uh, come to your program, is huge. This guy was the number one recruit in the 2022 class, I believe. Um, he can play both the corner and wide receiver position, and in both positions, he's considered one of the best. Um, he was considered the best corner um he was the best overall player in the 2022 class and obviously by far was the best cornerback. And then he starts playing receiver over at Jackson State and seeing what he can do at the receiver position. I mean, he caught a uh, game-tying touchdown in the uh, the Holiday Bowl um, against NC Central, um, which was a fantastic throw by Sanders as, as well as it was a fantastic catch by Hunter. Um, so the fact that you have that on both sides of the ball, you can use him on both sides of the ball or, I mean, wherever you put him is going to be is going to be good for Colorado. So, um definitely a a huge uh early signing period for them and you know it it amazes me that people are seriously doubting Deion Sanders considering what he was able to accomplish at Jackson State and obviously what he was able to accomplish throughout his 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 pro uh football you know career um I don't think he's an underdog at all by any means um I have high expectations for him and I think he's going to live up to those expectations and may even exceed them I don't know why people are kind of uh having any kind of doubt in a pro football hall of famer and someone who just went 26 and five at Jackson state. Um, and he was able to get a lot of uh, big time talent to, to commit to JSU and kind of, uh, um, change the culture a little bit. You're seeing a lot of, um, five, four-star recruits in both basketball and football starting to commit to HBCUs like Travis Hunter kind of started that. And you saw a lot of other, um, five and four-star players start to follow suit to that. So, um, I don't, I don't see um, what the doubt is in, in, in Deion Sanders. And I think Colorado next year is going to be uh, a very good football team. They're going to be at 8-4. and four, nine, my, my dream scenario for them is if they finish 8-4, and 9-3, and three, and they get to play in the Las Vegas Bowl versus Nebraska. Because it's going to be Big Ten next year, right? Because SEC played this year because it swaps, right? It's Pac-12 versus. Oh, it does swap? I, didn't, yeah. I, thought it was, I thought it was just SEC, Pac-12. No, it's uh, Big Ten. And then because remember the first year we went, it was Arizona State, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. And then it's this year was Oregon State, uh, Florida. So next year, Colorado and Nebraska already play each other the first game, which I am 
seriously considering going to that football game. If I can find affordable tickets, I am honestly considering making plans to to go to that football game. Yeah, I hope then we get a rematch of that in the Las Vegas Bowl because I think that'd be the that with with next year's slate and the the you're obviously not going to get Michigan versus USC in the Las Vegas Bowl unless they both suck next year. The dream scenario would the dream matchup would be Colorado and Nebraska. I think considering if those teams can get to bowl eligibility that would be my dream matchup so i hope that uh uh that comes true at least but yeah my big winners i would say are, are colorado and texas and even colorado state as well um you know texas um trying to bring texas football back i mean like i said they've been trying to do it for the past 10 years but i think they're about as close as they've ever been um colorado just again considering where they've been the last decade this is huge for them to to get uh players uh, like Travis Hunter to go to your program. Um, and then, like I said, Colorado State, um, year two in Jay Norvell to have the second best. And he still has a shot to have the best overall recruiting class in the conference. To, to be able to accomplish that in year two um, is huge. So And and beating out schools like UNLV, San Diego State, and, and UNR and, and whatnot, um, that, that's big time. So uh, we'll see uh, what happens with them. But those are my my three big winners. And Oklahoma, too. Oklahoma getting their fifth best recruiting class considering I think they went seven and five this year and losing Lincoln Riley. And so being able to beat him out so far and um, get three five-star commits is, is huge for them as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not in any disagreement with you as far as uh, winners are concerned. Um, I'm going to hold a little bit back a little bit on Colorado. Cause I want to see what they do at this late signing day um, period that comes up in February. I wasn't expecting them, at least from a high school level, to make a whole lot of noise at this uh, early signing date just because of when Dion was hired. That's a really quick turnaround to ask somebody to go to the high school ranks um, right away and try and put together a good class for the early signing date. But schools like Nebraska, schools like Colorado, I would pay pretty close attention to that February date because they could really make some noise. That'll have given guys like Matt Rule a few months to go recruit the guys he wants to recruit and keep in mind Matt Rule has ties to Texas not the school Texas but at least the the state Texas um I guess the the state as a whole being a former coach at Baylor he's got those ties to Texas um somewhat I mean they're a little bit broken off just because he went to Carolina for a bit and now he's coming back but nonetheless he can he's found ways to recruit guys to come play football at a power five level um he might be able to get some guys that might turn some heads a little bit and maybe some guys that you wouldn't normally expect to go to a program like Nebraska, but because Matt rules the coach there now, maybe there's a little more interest. So I would, I would pay attention to teams like that at the later signing date, but for Colorado state, like you said, um, it's pretty, pretty fascinating how Jay Norvell in year two, and keep in mind, this is a college football team. We're talking about not college basketball in college football, a year two coach is, you know, going toe-to-toe with a team at the top of their conference, which is almost unheard of. But to some, you know, that's starting to become, I guess, the norm where if you don't have a program turned around in three years, people start looking at you a little bit funny. But with that, that's also where you find the flip side of the coin. Let's not forget UNLV was primed to have a really good recruiting class this year. They were right in position Marcus Oreo was about to bring in one of the best recruiting classes UNLV has seen in a long time, and one decision flipped that all on its head. So while it may be by default, my biggest loser of signing day is going to be UNLV 
and it doesn't really have to do anything with Barry Odom because the guy's been here like 20 minutes. So I'm not putting anything on Barry Odom. I'm more so blaming UNLV being a loser of signing day on Eric Harper. He he knew damn well what he was doing when he fired Marcus Arroyo. He if if anybody tries to say he didn't understand what type of recruiting class was coming into UNLV, then I would probably look at them and say, well, then Eric Harper wasn't doing his job effectively. Like football, for mostly, I would say 99.8% of schools is their biggest revenue generator. You're probably going to pay attention pretty closely to your biggest revenue generator. And I think it was made well known to Eric Harper. UNLV had a really talented recruiting class coming in under Marcus Arroyo. And even that wasn't enough to keep Marcus Arroyo around. But you even had a, even throughout the recruiting class, you, you still had a very talented team put together. Yeah. So you still had guys uh, like Brumfield and, and Kyle Williams and Aiden Robbins and, and Plan and so on who are all Ricky White, who are all conference players. Um, so, you know, even throwing out the recruiting class, you obviously have a lot of talent on that roster. And, again, I think what played into that decision was a lot of – we have so much talent. Why did we go five and seven? And you know, the, there there were games in that in that stretch where you're like, man, we should have won that game. But also, they started four and one, and then guys kind of started dropping like flies. Yeah, injuries isn't something a, a coach can control. Um, and then once those guys come back, it's their first game back is not like they're back. Like they're not going to Doug Brumfield. This first game back isn't going to go. 24 or 34 305 yards and and four touchdown passes right like he just missed the last four weeks he's got to get back at rhythm and, and back into game speed and practice really doesn't do that it can warm you up a little bit but practice to a you know a, a college football division one football game are, are are two different things so it's going to take these guys a little bit to get back into the swing of things um so again we, we've said this a hundred times you know, we we firmly believe Arroyo should have gotten another year, considering the talent on that team and you know the the recruiting class he was bringing it bringing in. And um, the, the my only real complaint with Arroyo with recruiting was he he wasn't really recruiting local, but at the end of the day, I think he still was bringing talent into UNLV. Um, so I fairly believe or firmly believe he should have deserved another season. But um, to give Barry Odom credit, you know. Again, he's got to stay consistent with this because I've seen this happen before. Barry Odom, I think, has just about visited every high school in Vegas and tried to, um, you know, repair a lot of those relationships. But, again, this this has to be consistent. So this can't be like uh, your first month here, like, hey, guys, you know, I'm, you know, sorry about the previous coach, but that's not how I'm going to do things, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he dips and he's recruiting in Texas and California, which is – you know, if that's how you choose to recruit and that's where you think you're going to get most of your talent from, then whatever. But don't put on a whole little stunt and and, and, and then disappear. Right. So we'll see if he stays consistent with that. But so far, I will give him credit for that. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how Barry Odom does. Um, this this has this hire has to work, not only for UNLV, but for Eric Harper's sake. Like that was a pretty it was pretty ballsy and risky to fire a Royal considering you have one of your best years, you're right on the line of bowl eligibility, um, the talent on that team, and we can go on and list 100 reasons and the timing of it too. Um, you get the Fremont Cannon back. Arroyo is literally at the UNLV basketball game Saturday night supporting the team, and then Monday morning, uh, shocked everyone, they, they, they fire Arroyo. So it, it was came out of nowhere. It was a pretty risky and ballsy move, and 
Um, yeah, it, it's got to work not only for the program's sake because this is going to be, and I this is I don't know if this is something really anyone understands. This is going to be extremely damaging to UNLV football if Barry Odom does not work. Yeah. Like, I I don't want to say nail in the coffin, but it's going to be a nightmare if it doesn't work. Not only because they gave him a pretty big contract, that buyout's going to be, I don't know what the buyout agreements are, but um, if he if he's, if he's he sucks his first two, three years, you know, that's going to be a lot of money. And also that makes UNLV, again, a way more or less attractive job. Um, and that the fan engagement will be probably at an all-time low. Yeah. Like Allegiant Stadium will not even be enough to get fans to come to games. So we'll we'll see how this hiring works out. I, I'm rooting for Barry Odom. Uh, you know, I think he's he's done a pretty good job so far and he he seems like a really great guy and um they're never rooting for anyone's failure cuz that's just that's just bizarre to do that, but uh you know, he um for his sake, Harper's sake and UNLV's sake, they better all hope it works out. So Year one, you got to be patient. Um, but considering the staff he's bringing in and the what he's been able to retain, I think you sh- he should at least be going four and eight year one. Well, you look at a guy that you mentioned in Kyle Williams. I would be almost comfortable betting every dime I owned he's not coming back to UNLV because he's gotten now an offer from yours truly, Deion Sanders. Yeah, that's that's hard to say no to. Um, that's, that's we we to. talked about it all the time on the show. It's the biggest reason that, like, I would have been ecstatic if Deion Sanders came to Vegas because you want to talk about a guy that could repair the local recruiting scene in Las Vegas with a snap of a a finger? Deion Sanders would have done that. And we use the analogy all the time. If you're a high school player and Deion Sanders rolls up to your high school game and offers you a scholarship, I can probably count on maybe one hand how many people would actually say no to that. And it, they probably would say no because they either have an, an offer from Kirby Smart or Nick Saban. We talked about Colorado being a winner, which I do agree with in this instance. If we're looking at the transfer portal uh, part of signing day, I think Colorado knocked it out of the park. Granted, they didn't really have to do probably a whole lot of work because the guy, the big names they got were at Jackson State and they followed Deion Sanders to Colorado. But nonetheless, you still have to kind of re-recruit them to Colorado. And a guy like Travis Hunter, who let's not forget – was originally committed to Alabama. Deion Sanders went into, uh, you know, whether it's Alabama, Jackson State, whatever the may, it may be, and got Deion or got Travis Hunter to flip from Alabama to Jackson State, like flip from a perennial powerhouse, powerhouse football factory, essentially, to an HBCU. And I mean, that's that's almost unheard of in college football. That rarely ever happens, and. I think, you know, people, like you said, people doubt Dion and they don't like Dion for going to Colorado, leaving Jackson State, whatever the case may be. I, the best way I could summarize that is Dion did a really good job at his current position. An employer took notice of it, wanted to offer him an exuberant amount of money to be promoted. And like any reasonable human being, he said yes. Like, it's no different than if you're working at a job and, you know, your boss says, hey, we done, you've done a really good job here. We want to give you a promotion and a new position. Most people are going to accept that. Like, they're not going to turn down a raise and, you know, a promotion because they, they feel comfortable. Yeah. I don't know. But that's beside the point. I do agree. I like what Colorado's doing. There's a reason we said 
when he was hired that year one could be six and six, seven and five, somewhere in that area. They may be even better than that, honestly. Um, they're, they're bringing in a lot of talent. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see an eight and four team next year. Like the two guys, like obviously Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter. I look at that as just the tip of the iceberg for Colorado. Yeah. Like, I, I people may say, you know, it's part of the reason people don't really care for Dion, or at least some people don't care for Dion. I think there's a lot of people, including obviously you and me, that really like Dion. But there's people out there that don't necessarily care for Dion because you know they feel like he's maybe to a degree a little bit arrogant or overconfident, but. The difference with Dion compared to, you know, the everyday person that may be, you know, arrogant or overconfident is Dion backs it up. Like Dion may say, oh, we're going to cook this team by 30. And then he, you know, the final score comes out and they beat them by 49. And you're like, oh, okay, you backed it up. So can't really say much. So that's where I, I think Dion is able to gain a lot of trust from a lot of kids is usually what he says comes to fruition. Like, it's very rare that, you know, and I think Dion, to a degree, he's realistic, but he's also pushing for the next level. You know, he, you look at what he did at Jackson State, he got that team so much national exposure and he got them on the scene. Like, he made people, he made average football fans aware of what Jackson State was. I think he's going to do that times 10 at Colorado now being in a power five. And we're not going to be probably too surprised in two or three years when Colorado's going toe-to-toe with Lincoln Riley and USC. And that's a very real possibility. And, I mean, like Joey said, I'm looking forward to Nebraska-Colorado. I mean, shoot, we might have to buy, buy tickets right now just because that's, that's probably the cheapest we're going to find tickets. Um, that will be an amazing game. And, I mean, really a, a true test to... Two guy, two coaches in their first year at their new programs, kind of a measuring stick. Who's done the better job preparing their program up to this point? And like you said, it may not be completely out of the question to see these two match up at the Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah. And one last thing before we move on, you know, and when it comes to recruiting, if I have Dabo Sweeney walking my house versus Deion Sanders. Oh, you mean you don't want Dabo saying God's NIL? Yeah, exactly. So I mean it's it's really not that it's really not that hard of a decision for me. If I have Dabo Sweeney come in, I'm you know, counting down the minutes for this guy to fucking leave my house and then Deion Sanders comes in, you know, he may get a commitment from me right on the spot. So. Like at a certain point, Dabo, just shut yeah. up. Dabo's a, a cornball. So like you, you have a very good program at Clemson. Just be satisfied with that. Like we don't need to hear from you. Like there's a reason that most of the time we don't hear from Nick Saban outside of maybe a couple bits here and there. Dabo seems to find himself in the headlines for some reason, pretty much every week. Yeah. And you know, I, I did see that clip where he's like, Oh, well we, we got a pretty good NIL deal here at Clemson, but it's not the NIL deal you're thinking of. And, like, just stop. Just cringe. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on, staying in, I guess, the college universe real quick. Uh, UNLV basketball, sitting out 11-1, and one, suffered their first loss to uh, San Francisco uh, last week or last Saturday. Yep. Um, shouldn't have lost the game, but I don't think they lost to a terrible team. They lost to a, a pretty good San Francisco team, and I think this team needed to lose. Um, they're... You know, getting a little bit sloppy here their last five, four or five games, especially when it came to closing out a game. Um, 
you look at the game versus Washington State, UNLV led by double digits within two minutes. Washington State makes it a three-point game. UNLV ends up winning by four. It, it comes down to the wire. Um, same thing with San Francisco. UNLV's up by nine with a minute 50 left, and San Francisco wins the game and gets, on. Uh, let's see, what was it? 11 unanswered points in that one minute and 40-second span. Mm-hmm. To their credit, last night they closed out the game much better, and they played much better. Um, they, they started off a little rocky and sloppy, um, but I think they woke up. Um, they were great defensively all night. They kind of found their rhythm on, the, on offense in the second half, and um, they they closed out. That was probably their best closeout of the season, I think, up there with Dayton. I think Dayton was probably their best closeout of the year, um, but I think they closed out last gate, last ah, last night's game uh, pretty decent as well. So for the season, I'd say it's about a close second. So um, conference play starts the 28th with San Jose. San Jose is not the gimme cupcake team anymore. They're sitting at 9-4. and four. Tim Miles is doing a pretty good job year two there. Um, it's not really a – a tough road environment by any means, but it's still a pretty decent team. You're going to have to play to open up conference play, and it doesn't get much easier because your next game on New Year's Eve is against San Diego State, and then you go up and travel to Albuquerque um, playing in a very tough environment in the pit and a New Mexico team that is still undefeated, one of the last three undefeated teams in college basketball. So um, nothing less a, a fantastic start, I think, for UNLV basketball, and I think they cleaned up on – most of their mistakes from the San Francisco and Washington game. Granted, they did win that Washington State game. Um, they closed out that game pretty sloppy. Their closeout against San Francisco was was ugly. Um, I think they did much better last night against a, a pretty decent Southern Miss team um, who came into last night's game 11-1 and and ranked 22nd in the NCAA net rankings. So this was not a, a cupcake team. Southern Miss went on the road earlier this year and beat Vanderbilt as well, um, an SEC school. So... Not a bad team by any means, so you know, be getting a double-digit win against them. Um, I think it's pretty big for them, and it's a good momentum heading into the holidays and going into uh, conference play. So we'll see how they, they look on the 28th versus the Spartans. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think UNLV, for one, they should not have lost that game on Saturday to San Francisco. You're up nine, under four timeout. You really shouldn't lose those games. Like, that, the, to me... And, and some people brought up the point, well, you know, Kevin didn't really use many timeouts in that second half to kind of stop some of those runs. I've seen that go both ways. I've seen coaches that, you know, are very quick to call timeouts. I've seen coaches that are, you know, ones to let their players play it out. And in that case, Kevin thought his team would play better if they just, you know, rode out the run and kind of played through it uh, compared to calling a timeout. But nonetheless, I mean, you still you can't be blowing nine or ten point leads with less than four or three minutes to play in the game. Like that just can't happen. But to kind of cut UNLV a little bit of slack, I don't think anybody really expected this team at the beginning of the year to go undefeated in non-conference. They went pretty close. They got eleven and one, which even still, I think a lot of people weren't predicting eleven and one out of conference to start. Maybe nine and three. 10 and 2, sometimes even 8 and 4, but I don't think anybody saw 11 and 1. And I think if they can if they can continue to bring the defensive pressure they've brought to you know, really cause havoc on the defensive end and really now they're, they're that havoc on the defensive end is translating to offense. Like UNLV 
I'm trying to remember. I think they got to 70 last night, right? They got more than 70? 74. 74 Forced to... 19 turnovers, I believe. That's kind of the recipe to, to winning basketball games consistently. If UNLV can consistently force anywhere from, say, 17 to more than 20 turnovers a game, and they can be scoring in the 70s, they're going to win a lot of these conference games. They're going to win these games like against the San Jose States. They're going to win, you know, to me personally, I don't think they're going to get split or they're, they're not going to get swept by anybody. At worst, they're going to split. I, I, I really think that they could steal a game, quote unquote, against a team like San Diego State. I think they could split with a team like, um, I'm trying to think, New Mexico. Or the, do we, we only played New Mexico once, I believe, this year, huh? It's at the pit. Yeah, which is, uh, again, I think we, we complained about it last episode. I don't know who in the Mountain West made that schedule. I know you can you can only play like nine teams, I think, now twice in the conference. Yeah. Or like eight teams. But New Mexico, San Diego State, UNR, no question should be teams UNLV's playing twice. You can figure out the rest. Right. Um, UNLV should not be playing New Mexico once. That was ridiculous. Yeah, and even still, I mean, you look at it like Colorado. I think Colorado State's one that they play twice. Wyoming might be one that they play San twice. San Jose, like we don't need to play Air Force. We don't need to be playing these Like all these teams that they're playing twice, I feel like at worst they're going to split with, and some of them they could even sweep. Yeah. Like UNLV is that talented this year. And, you know, before we would say, well, you know, maybe they could split with this team, but, you know, we would get to the San Diego States or the Utah States or whatever year it was, and, they, and we'd be like, oh, well, just keep that one close. Like, this is a, a, probably the first year I can remember where, I, I mean, a team like San Diego State doesn't necessarily scare me that much. A team like Utah State or Colorado State doesn't usually doesn't really scare me that much in comparison to years past where, you know, before – it would be, well, just keep this one close. Now the, the narrative is starting to change under Kevin Kruger to, no, we can win this game. Right. You know, I think he kind of show, he showed a little bit of a preview of that last year, sweeping Colorado State, who was a highly touted team by a lot of experts you know, and predictions. They had Colorado State very high on the conference. And for lack of a better term, Bryce Hamilton handed David Roddy his lunch twice. So... um. I mean, I don't, I don't know what more you want to say about I that. I don't know. I don't know if that's a disc giving David Roddy lunch. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, maybe taking it away. That'd be a little there more of a punishment. A um, couple of those actually, but you know, we start, I would say this isn't much of a surprise so much that this team is this good this year, but that Kevin Kruger himself has this team at this good this year. This is the same Kevin Kruger that, like we mentioned before, swept Colorado state and swept UNR in the same year. Like, he was showing glimpses of getting signature wins. It was just year one, so you would have those signature wins mixed in with some of those growing pain losses. And that's kind of what bounced that schedule out last year. That's kind of the reason they got to 18 and 14 was they would have a lot of these great wins, and then they would have these games where they just looked terrible. And so, so far, outside of maybe a couple-minute stretch here and there, UNLV has been pretty good in every single game they've played. Now, they were really good for about 55 minutes of San Francisco, and they were pretty bad for the last five. And that was the difference maker. Do I think that's going to happen every night? I don't think so. I mean, you could look at the game against Southern Miss. They were bad for, or I won't say they were bad, but they were mediocre for probably the first 20 minutes of that game. And then they were pretty good for the last... 15 minutes of that game ish yeah. somewhere in there 
Um, the last 15-ish minutes, UNLV firmly took that game over. They were generating runs. They were getting the crowd involved in comparison to what ESPN ever says about the crowd. I don't believe there was only 6,000 people there for the Southern Miss game and the San Francisco game for that matter. Um, the building had way more people than that. Yeah, and it just felt and sounded like, even if that was the crowd, it, it definitely felt and sounded like um, a lot more than that. So, yeah. They, uh, yeah, People are starting to take notice. Yeah, you win, people show up. Uh, so... That's it with UNLV, 11-1, and one, conference play starting December 28th. So uh, we'll see how the Run Rebels do in Mountain West conference play, and hopefully they can uh, change the narrative a little bit. Um, that's kind of been the downfall of, of UNLV basketball over the past several years is his conference play has been the real struggle for them. Um, so we'll see if they can kind of uh, flip it a little bit and you know finish top three in the Mountain West, which would be the first time in um, – jeez, last time they finished top three in the Mountain West was 2013, I believe. Somewhere around there. So we'll see if they can uh, um, do that for the first time in a decade nearly and obviously make the tournament for the first time in, in nearly a decade. Uh, going on to Christmas Day, though. We've got football on Christmas Day. A lot of those games. You might want to Dol- sleep through. Yeah, them. Dolphins, Packers, Bucks, Cardinals, and what's the other one? Uh, the fact I don't know it is probably all you need to know. Let me look that up. Rams, Rams, and so it's a home game for the Rams. That's all I know. Is it? It's not Tampa. I don't think. No, it's Tampa and Arizona. That's right. Dolphins, Packers, and the Rams, Broncos, Rams, Broncos. That one, yeah. I don't know why. That you may not want to. <laughs> they maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be a tough, uh, tough watch. That that's a, that's a. I mean, a, a judge might sentence a, a judge might sentence a few people to watch that game. <laughs> so, uh, going on to Christmas Day though for basketball, um, a pretty good slate in the NBA. I don't think there's really a bad game. Um, opening up with the Sixers and Knicks. Let me just say something first. I I just remembered that James Harden is still in the league. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good point. Like you've not heard a lot from James Harden since they've gotten rid of that that um. That where you um, that foul call from the three point line, you know uh, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, a little fake. Yeah, since they've gotten rid of that, which is where James Harden got majority of his points from. I mean, he's still a decent player, but he's not the 38 a night kind of guy anymore. Like he's averaging 21. His most recent game, he had 15 points. Like four years ago, hearing James Harden got 15 points would be unheard of because at minimum this guy would be getting at least 26 a night mm-hmm. so um opens up with sixers and knicks uh the knicks are playing pretty good basketball right now jalen brunson looks great um julius randall kind of i won't i don't know if i'll go as far as to say getting into all-star f- form again but playing very similar to how he was uh, all-star season um philadelphia also not bad either sitting at 18 and 12 that is the first game of christmas day i'm gonna roll the knicks at home I feel like Madison Square Garden is going to be uh, rocking. The Knicks are, you know, again, a pretty decent team this year. Uh, playing, I would say, divisional rival in the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, I think this will be a, a great close game that uh, um, Philly uh, gets the best of New York and then uh, pulls off a win. Or, excuse me, New York gets the best of Philly here and pulls off a win. So I'll go with the Knicks. I'm a little torn in this game. I want to take the 76ers, but the 76ers have to play the Clippers tonight. That's a rough game to come off of going into Christmas Day. I'm gonna I'll go with the Sixers, but I don't I would it wouldn't shock me if the Knicks pulled it out. 
I just think Philly's probably going to make a couple more plays down the stretch. Like, this is going to be like a 107-102 type of game, and Joel Embiid may need to have 30 to have have Philly in contention. I mean, the Knicks, they're coming up. They have a little bit of an easier game tonight against the Bulls. This being recorded, obviously, on Friday, not Saturday. So a little bit of a tidbit there. But for Friday's game, because the league doesn't play Saturday, the Knicks play at home against the Bulls, and the Sixers, while they're at home, like I said, they're playing the Clippers, who are ne- it's never an easy game for really anybody. I think, you know, of those two, like, it would make sense to to pick the Knicks, but, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like Philly, it feels like the better team in this game for some reason. This feels like a game Joel Embiid goes crazy. I'll go with the the 76ers in a close one, like probably by a few points at most. Okay, so Matt's going with Philly. I'm going with the the Knicks. Next game of the day, this this might be the sleeper one, the Lakers and Mavericks. Um, I know Anthony Davis will be out, but if you can get a healthy LeBron James, this could be a game that's full of highlights for sure. LeBron versus Luka. Um my only complaint is this is in Dallas. I feel like the Lakers are kind of like the Knicks. They should be playing at home on Christmas. Um, but nothing less, I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with the Lakers here. I think the Lakers pull off a stunner. Dallas has not looked too hot this year. I mean, I know it's still early in the year, but they're not as um, – they don't look as strong as I thought they would. Um, I think there's still plenty of time to turn around. We're not even – I think we're bare, or not even – are we even a third through this season? Uh – yeah, kind like of barely there or yeah. almost there, or barely over it. So um, there's still a, a long ways to go. But um, I, th- I think the Lakers uh, pull off. A, I don't even know if it's much of an upset, but they get the win here on Christmas. Over the past few weeks, the Lakers have looked more uh, stronger and, and, and impressive than than the Mavericks have. And um, I feel like if one of the Mavericks is as crazy as it sounds, their biggest weaknesses is when they just constantly run through Luka. Uh, Luke is a fantastic player, but when he's the only one facilitating and trying to generate offense, they're not a good team. And uh kind of sucks to hear the truth, but that's just that's just the way it is, kind of been watching this team. And uh, if they can get other guys like Christian Wood and Spencer Dinwiddie involved, uh, maybe it's a different story. But if it's going to be the Lucas show again, I don't think that's, that's good enough to win the basketball games. I'm going to go with the Mavericks. I think the Mavericks, if you want to say stun the, the Lakers on Christmas Day, pull the upset off, Whatever the case may be, I do think Dallas gets it done. Um, more so from a scheduling standpoint, both these teams do play Friday night. Mavericks play at the Rockets. Lakers are at home to the Hornets. The Lakers have to come pretty much halfway across the country for this game. The Mavericks have, what, maybe an hour flight from Houston? I don't even know what the, the flight time would be, but it's a very it's a easier travel schedule for Dallas in comparison to the Lakers. And the Lakers also play at the last game of the night on Friday. They're a 7.30 Pacific tip-off, so you figure that game gets over late. Maybe you travel on Saturday. Maybe you travel late Friday night. In any case, I do think that when it, when we talk in terms of maybe fatigue in this game, the Lakers may show a little bit more of that compared to the Mavericks. And, I mean, it's the NBA on Christmas Day. I mean, these are this is typically when the Stars come to play. I wouldn't doubt Luka having... A forty-point game. Like what about Luke, LeBron, though. I mean, LeBron. Yeah, I mean, LeBron. LeBron. Le- LeBron has been averaging 30, 32 points a game over his last five games. 
Yeah, to me, like, I think LeBron's great, and this is a good characteristic to have, like, as a basketball player. I'm not not necessarily knocking it, but it has kind of slowed his scoring as a whole as he's gotten older is LeBron has been more willing to pass in comparison to previous years. Like, we're starting to see LeBron have, you know, 20 and, like, 10 or 11 assists a game comparison to, like, earlier LeBron where he would have 35 points, but maybe only like six or seven assists. So he's becoming more willing to pass to teammates, which is good. You obviously should. But I do think in this game, maybe maybe he passes a little bit too much. And again, Luka Doncic is, and probably will be for a while, a pest in this league. Like, not in, not in terms of like a Patrick Beverly pest, like a scoring pest to where... If you're if if Luca's your matchup on defense, good luck. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I wouldn't even say Beverly's a pest anymore the way he's been playing. <laughs> yeah, Beverly is. You know, I I I have a strong like a little bit of a soft spot for Pat Bev just because he was a Clipper, but when he's not on the Clippers, he's you know, he can be a pest. <laughs> Next up, um, my team's playing Boston, Milwaukee live at TD Garden. Back to back home games for your team, by the way. Yeah, the way the way the Celtics have been playing lately, though. Um, because you guys got the Timberwolves Friday night at home, yeah. so or tonight, or yeah. So um, Celtics have not looked strong the past six games. They started off the year twenty-one and five, now sitting at twenty-two and ten, uh, losing games to the Pacers, getting swept by the Magic in that series, getting blown out by the Clippers, um, able to steal one with the against the Lakers, which was good. But other than that, was um, not a great West Coast swing. No, they went four and two in that trip. They didn't. Did they? they? Oh. Yeah, they didn't do that bad. Um, but it's the homestand has been terrible. You're getting losing to the Magic twice and then losing to the Pacers, um, and the Pacers beating the Celtics by as much as I think uh, thirty one in that game. Boston clawed back a little bit, but that's that's inexcusable. I would say the rebuilding Pacers. Yeah, so um, I'm gonna go with Milwaukee. I, I I really hope that's not the case, but until Boston kind of figure out what's going on with them. Um, and, and that that strong start may have hurt them a little bit. I think they, they got a little bit too ahead of themselves, and maybe they need to go on a losing skid to wake up. Um, but again, it's just a reminder: this is still a fairly young team. I've been saying it for a while, but like Boston had a lot of these guys when they were teenagers. This is again still a fairly young team that I think needs to settle down a little bit and understand: hey, you just made the finals. That's great, but that does not mean you're just going to cakewalk to the finals again. Um, that's kind of what this team thought. In 2018, when they were one game away from the NBA Finals, they get Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward back. They're like, okay, we're going to cakewalk our way through the Eastern Conference. It's going to be easy. LeBron's gone. You know, our, the best, the biggest threat to us is going to be Toronto. And Boston that year goes 49-33. and 33. They grab a fourth seed, I believe, and they get uh, a gentleman sweep in the second round of the Milwaukee Bucks. So that very well could happen again to the Celtics this year um, if they don't settle down and realize that, hey, this, you're still in a very talented league, obviously, and you're in an extremely tough conference. The East is maybe tougher than the Western Conference this year. You have, so have to get through teams like Milwaukee, uh, Philadelphia. Brooklyn's looking strong again. They're sitting at 20-12. and 12. I think they've won 11 out of their last 13 games. Um, New York is solid. Um, Toronto is not a bad team. I'm missing a big team here in the Eastern Conference. Give me a second. Um, let's see. Yeah, you have to get through Cleveland, uh, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, New York, Miami, uh, Atlanta, Toronto. So, like, it, it's still a a tough conference. The first-round matchup, even if you somehow grab that first seed, it 
you could very well be playing Toronto um, in in the first round, which is by means you know not a not an easy matchup. Uh, so they got to get it together. And I don't think their season's over. It's cost for panic right now, but I think a losing skid may be what they need to kind of wake up and snap out of it. So at this current time, the way they've been playing, I'm going to roll with the Milwaukee Bucks. Give me the Celtics at home. I, I think this team, this would be the perfect turnaround game to kind of get a winning streak going. Obviously, they could start that on Friday night against the Timberwolves at home. Kind of a better tune-up game, I guess, for Milwaukee. Milwaukee also playing Friday night, but they have to play Brooklyn. That's not an easy test. Brooklyn starting to find their sea legs a little bit under them with Kyrie and KD. Back-to-back tough games for Milwaukee. I think Boston's probably going to pull it out at home. Like Something tells me it's a big game for Tatum. Jalen Brown's going to get going. This would be kind of the turnaround point, I think, for, for Boston, especially, like you mentioned, the last five or six games, they haven't looked that great. And I think they're kind of due for a wake-up call. Maybe it's, you know, maybe that gets going on Friday. Maybe you beat the Timberwolves, and then, you know, that can kind of translate some momentum into Sunday's game, Christmas Day's game against uh, Milwaukee, especially at home. And you throw the fact in that, like I said, Milwaukee has to play kind of a tougher game on that Friday going into that Sunday game. I, I think Boston can get it done at home. I think it's it's a perfect spot for them. Home game, Christmas Day, kind of the prime prime spot, if you will, for the Christmas Day game. They play at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. Most of the eyeballs are going to be on that game. I like Boston in that one at home. Yeah, and going into the two nightcaps, we've got Warriors and Grizzlies, a rematch of the Western Conference semifinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, very Obviously a very heated series. That seems like to be a, a new rivalry in the NBA. Memphis is going to blow the doors off of Golden State. I think so. Golden State put a not only put a huge they already had a target on their backs from winning the championship. But they also put another target on their back cuz Clay Thompson and Draymond Green talked a lot of fucking shit this off. Excuse my language. Talked a lot of shit this offseason and throughout the year, especially to Memphis. Yeah. Memphis is going to blow them out. Clay Thompson has been struggling this year. Again, for the reason of he put a target on his back. Same thing with Draymond Green. People, it's tough to be a defending champion or a defending conference champion because there is a target on your back the next season, and teams are going to come to play versus you. Draymond Green um, kind of proved a good point in this. Um, NBA is an 82-game season. You know, that's a long year. He says the toughest games for him um, are when they play teams like the Orlando Magic or they play teams like, uh, what's a bad Western Conference team right now? The Rockets. The Rockets. Because there's not a lot of energy going into these games. These teams suck. It's like these games don't matter. And that's why a lot of times you see really good teams lose to bad teams because there's just not a whole lot of energy or hype or momentum going into this game versus playing a, a, you know, a Boston or a a Memphis or a Milwaukee or so on um, because those are very big games that a lot of people are paying attention to. So it's much easier to get prepared and ready and amped for that game. And every team, Golden State, every game that they're, they're that team, people are coming to play and they want to show up and they want to beat Golden State. And um, even you throw all that out, what happened between that series last year between Memphis and, and Golden State, like I said, that's a new rivalry there. And uh, Memphis, I think, really wants to – um, get get a 
uh, have this treat this as a revenge game, and it's going to be in Golden State. I think they want to silence the crowd, and uh, um, I think yeah, I think they're going to blow the doors off of them. 15, 20 point win, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so I, I hope I hope Clay Thompson gets held to like eight points, and I hope Draymond continues to play like Draymond and gets one point and eight rebounds and six fouls. So uh, we'll see what happens, but this will be a very heated game. Um, probably a lot of. Uh, you know, the refs probably have to stop, uh, step in and break it up a lot of times and um, very physical game. And I'm looking forward to it. Even if it's a blowout, I think this will be a very fun and entertaining game to watch. But I think Memphis is going to come to play this game. Yeah, give me Memphis. Let's not forget, everybody, that uh, the Warriors are, in fact, below 500 right now. Two games below. 15 Three. and 17. Oh, 15 and 18? 15 and 18. Yeah. This is the defending champs we're talking about, below 500. And they're playing a 19 and 11 Memphis Grizzlies team. That's going to come to play. Like, don't forget, don't think that Memphis didn't forget about last year. Like, that, that is still well in their memory. This is the team that knocked Memphis out last year. There's going to be a natural revenge factor. And like Joey said, you throw in the fact that Draymond and Clay, for whatever reason, decided to talk a lot of mess to Memphis of all teams. Um, like Just it, the whole league. That's what I'm saying. That's, I think that's why they're struggling. They were talking a lot of mess to the whole league, and it, it, it's put... And they've earned it, I guess, but again, that puts a huge target on your back. And people, and teams a lot of people, people are funny. They're like, "Oh, well, you know, Draymond's had his great games. Okay, let's go back to the finals. He had one decent game. <laughs> Remember, let's not forget the first two games Draymond played in that finals, where he stunk, and he still was talking. Like Draymond literally stunk in those first two games in, in the finals against Boston, and he was still talking. Like this I, I agree with Joey if Joe if Draymond gets hold, held to like two points and three rebounds and John Morant runs laps around this Warriors team it's going to be a wrap by halftime like the I, it won't take us very long to understand who the better team is in this game I think Memphis is going to come easily ready to play I can't say the same about the Warriors going last game this will be a fun one Decent Suns game. Nuggets um Two teams, I think, that play basketball the right way for them, especially the Nuggets. The Nuggets are just a, a, a fun team to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikola Jokic, if he could play defense, man, he may be he might be the best player in the NBA. Uh, seeing the passes and this, this vision this guy has for his centers, um, truly uh, breathtaking at times. But give me the Nuggets. This will be probably one of the better games as well on Christmas. But very high scoring game comes down to the wire. Denver, Denver pulls out. Give me the Nuggets. I don't like what's going on with the Suns. They've already had some heated exchanges during timeouts between DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams. I, I, that I can't say I'm too surprised about because we saw this kind of coming before the season started where there were reports of DeAndre Ayton not being happy in Phoenix. And let's not forget, like DeAndre Ayton signed originally with Indiana in the offseason for a reason. It's because he wanted out of Phoenix. And so I think it's one of those that give me the Phoenix or excuse me, give me the Denver Nuggets at home to wrap up an amazing Christmas Day slate. That is all we have, though, for back and forth here. I've been your host, Stat Matt, joined alongside as always by my co-host, Joey G. Plenty to get to on this show as we did. Hope you all enjoy it. Enjoy your Christmas with you, yourself, your loved ones, whoever you may be having Christmas with or whatever holiday you may be celebrating this year. From us to back and forth, Merry Christmas and a happy holidays to you and yours. We are back next week with more content and episodes to get to.